Welcome to Phil and Ted's Sexy Boomer Show. I'm Ted Bonnet. And I'm Phil Proctor. And boy, it's such a beautiful day out there. We Isn't should, it? We should remove the ceiling here. Or maybe it'll fall in no during the show. Yeah, right, Who knows? <laughs> yeah, no, it's nice to see that there is actually some sun to be had. In sunny California. Oh, my goodness. It was so beautiful at the beach yesterday. Just one of those air, the perfect air where it's just delicious. You want to drink the yes, air. It's yes. so nice. And that's what makes L.A. so great. David Osman used to call the smog here Hitler. How's that? He just say Hitler's really thick today. <laughs> <laughs> He moved up to Santa Barbara to get away from it. Really? Yeah. Mm. And then he moved to... He's on now Whidbey he's, Island. Now he's off off he, continent. He's a Whidbey on Whidbey. Yeah, there you go. Well, he's still doing very well. He's directing stuff. And, uh, and of course, we're, we're in touch with you know, doing Firesign Theater stuff whenever we can. So Good. Anyway. And we, are, we have a really interesting show today. We're going to talk about the movie business. That's right. And uh, specifically the Lemley movie business, which is a fascinating story from the origins of Hollywood to the existential threat to theater exhibition that remains today here in Hollywood in the Los Angeles area, certainly with the Lemley theaters, and um, which is indicative of theaters everywhere, and not just movie theaters, as you know. No, the Mark Taper Forum, a, shot, a place where I acted many, many times in the early days, uh, is, is not having a season. They've canceled their season for yeah. next year. And it's, and, Can't and afford they, it. And they're one of the... It's the subscribers, you yeah. see. The sub- subscribers who stopped coming because of COVID yep. haven't come back. Yeah, and, and the Center Theater Group is one of the premier theater oh my groups. God. They were the fact the that they have to shut down. You know, Phil Austin and I were both in Musica by John Guare. And uh, at, the, at that time, this was like, what, not the 70s, I guess. Mm-hmm. It was absolutely thrilling. People loved coming to that theater because it's a thrust stage, so you have an intimate feeling. Mm-hmm. And it, as an actor, you really feel like you're close to the audience. You're part of yeah. an experience. We you just know? Uh, I've been to a number of productions this uh, season. and Apparently, the, you saw a production there now. That the tra- Transparent, the musical, saw, we went to opening night, and it wasn't full. It was about three wow. quarters full on opening night. Wow. And that, So they that only opened telling, it a little bit? Yeah, just what? a little bit. Yeah. But uh, everybody was very open because it was yes, it was the right. the beautiful intelligentsia of the of the queer scene of Los Angeles came out for this production and it was great it was kind of was a throwback to San Francisco in the seventies just who is your, who is your beard my beard uh, yeah for that oh night. Sarah Spitz uh, Sarah Spitz who is who has been on this uh, K- KCRW yes my dear friend. And um, so, so uh, yeah, it's it's telling about what's happening, and and of course, it's a new normal now post COVID, um, and I think there are other factors at work too, because first of all, cost. Mm-hmm. Um, theater is expensive now, mm-hmm. and also um, in L.A., traffic's a drag. I mean, yeah. if you live on the West Side and you want to go see a show yeah. at the theater yeah. center on a it's Friday a night, haul. it's yeah. a commitment. Yep. And a lot of people have just said no. And and that's terrible. What we're going to talk about today is, more specifically, is the movie business, which is still struggling yeah. to recover. And we're going to talk about that really from a personal perspective. And I'd like to welcome our guest now, Greg Lemley, who is now the operator, owner, and uh, leader of Truly one of God's gifts to Los Angeles, which is the uh, Lemley movie theater chain. That they're not content- afraid of subtitles. No, they're not. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Greg. 
Hey there, great to be here, guys. Thanks for joining us today. This well, you're is, uh... actually not here. How can you be in two places at once when you're not anywhere at all, Greg? <laughs> well, I am sorry not to be in the studio with you, but well, uh, happy you to be are. on the air. You're in our ears, and that's really very nice. You're up in Seattle, right? That is correct. Uh, that's where I'm living these days, although I spend a lot of time uh, back in L.A. as much as I can. Good. And that's, that's part of the story. Like, there's a wonderful documentary called Only in Theaters, uh, which is the story of you and your family's business and the struggles that you're facing keeping the, the, keeping the, the theaters, theaters open. open. That's right. And we're going to have Raphael Sparge on later on in the show. He's who, the director directed the creator this. Of, of it. Raphael's a good friend of mine from the Antius Theater Company. Yes. And Greg, thank you so much for joining us. What is art house cinema? Well, I guess art house cinema can be defined as, you know, in some respects as anything that isn't, uh, you know, part of the, the Hollywood studio circuit. Um, mm -hmm. You know, there was a time when the studios not only produced and distributed their films, but they actually owned the movie theaters where those films played. And, uh, you know, there was a great incentive for them to keep their own films on screen, especially at a time when they, you know, when uh, playing in movie theaters was the only revenue source for those films. That's right. Um and, they, and, and, you know, and, and films that fell that were produced or distributed outside of that system had a hard time finding, a, you know, a home. Mm -hmm. And inverse to that, which we're going to talk about, too, um, is is your family history. And um, your is it your great grand uncle, Carl Lemley? Is that? Is yeah, that... I think that's what, you, you know, he yeah. was my great grandfather's first cousin. OK, oh, wow. so he's a cousin. Anyway, he's yeah. he started. He's a found. He's the founder of Universal Studios. And this goes yes. back to the very earliest of the 20th century. And what a story his story is. And he started in the essentially he started in the theater business after several failed businesses um, attempts to, to make something of himself in the clothing business. And it was these failures that really informed him. And one day he happened to notice a move, what was at the time a Nickelodeon. He saw a lineup of people paying to go into a building and coming back out with nothing in their hands. Yeah. And he thought, right. what a business plan. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then, you know, to simplify the story, he got into the theater business, but he was very difficult to find content because at the time there were seven to 10 minute movies being made, Nickelodeons, and he needed more product. Then he decided to acquire films and then rent them back to other theaters. So he started the first film exchange. And then when that was still not enough content, he decided to start making movies. And that eventually became Universal Pictures. And in the process, he elevated it from sort of a look down upon Nickelodeon to more of a, of a cultural experience. And I understand he built the studios on a former chicken ranch. Okay, so that's why Universal well, is plucking the tourists right yeah, now. See, this right? is way more than Greg thought he was getting oh, into. Sorry, it. Greg. <laughs> Did, is that a fair characterization? Because it, it's, it's similar to what you're up against all these uh, years later. Yeah, no, no. I mean, that is absolutely a fair, uh, you know, recap of of uh, his trajectory in the business. That all, although it also included a fight with Thomas Edison. That's right. Um, oh, yeah. Over whether the movie making process and the patent that Edison had placed on the movie-making process was valid. That was the uh, um, known as the trust, and that was Edison's attempt to control everything that was produced from his camera that he invented. And 
Your uncle tried everything to evade him. He even moved the company to Cuba in, in the early 1900s, which didn't kind of work out too well for the hey, employees. Hey. <laughs> but he took it on. Did it, did it go up to the Supreme Court? Yes, all the way to the Supreme Court. And, and what did he accomplish? Well, by by prove by proving the case that uh, that the patent you know was not valid, um, it changed the economics of movie making, mm-hmm. um, and and really led to the flourishing. Now all these companies that started in the wake of of, of Lemley's company, uh, you know, got established. That's when you have Paramount and Fox and and you know Warner Brothers and so on and so forth. Uncle Carl, as he was known, was uh, a standout in that crowd in that he was considered a decent, compassionate. And delightful person. As opposed, as opposed to Jack I don't need to Warner. cast aspersions on any of the other moguls. Yeah, well, you know, Jack Warner was apparently an sob, right? So I, it's nice to, to hear that somebody. No, but Universal was not only you know not only did they really try to elevate the art of movie making, the art of storytelling through film. They uh, you know were an early pioneer in terms of employing female uh, writers and filmmakers. Um, you know, and much of that. Uh, you know, disappeared over time. But, you know, at the time it was quite groundbreaking. And that that was a connection that was evident to me when I watched the documentary of what he did and what you're still doing in the early 1900s. Actors on the stage at the time looked down on filmmaking, didn't want to have anything to do with it. They mm-hmm. thought it was beneath them. What Carl did was develop the narrative and one of the reasons was was because he wanted to help all the immigrants coming into the U.S. assimilate into the culture because he was German. He had come in from Germany. And he sort of had brought in um, German expressionism and really developed the narrative form, which is what led to things like Frankenstein, which these movies that Universal became known for. I mean, he sort of created the art film business. Well, I think he, you know, he created the art film business in the sense that he saw that Film was more than just a some sort of grotesquerie. It was not. It was not. You know, the sideshow carnival right. uh, kind mm-hmm. of thing, and, and you know, could be elevated to an art form. Um, in in you know, in the same respect as other, you know, high culture forms of entertainment. So, so he, there's no reason why movie going can't aspire to be like opera or 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 great literature. For example, he later turned the business over to his son Carl Lemley Jr. Carl Jr. produced Bride of Frankenstein in 1935, and that was directed by an openly queer director, James um, James Whale, I believe Whale. it was. James Whale, that expression is correct. Is. There's a Whale of yeah. a movie. It's just interesting to see that, that your family was pushing boundaries from the yeah, very beginning. Making artistic choices. You're in the exhibition business and here in Los Angeles. You have, how many screens do you have now? We have seven locations with 38 screens. Phil and I went to uh, your NoHo location after a show of just right. two, That's three weeks ago to see 32 Sounds, That's a movie right. you would see nowhere no. else. <laughs> and it's a beautiful theater, by the way. Them, It was a big time family business. Everybody in the family worked for the company. And two, I believe, nephews, Max, and um, I'm sorry, I forget the other name, uh, came in. Kurt, Max yeah. and Kurt. Max and Max Kurt, Kurt were sponsored, came into the country just before Nazi Germany took hold. And they started the exhibition business. Max was my grandfather, and uh, he was the older of the two brothers, uh, Max and Kurt. And uh, he was brought over first to work for Universal, probably even in the late 20s, Hmm. and then sent back to Europe to uh, head up the uh, office in Paris uh, for the distribution of of Universal films in, in Latin America. 
mm-hmm. or Latin Europe. Uh, Latin. Forgive me. <laughs> Kurt also came over, and then he was sent to Chicago, um, uh, where he was working in the Chicago branch. Uh, Kurt eventually realized that he would actually make a little bit more money working for himself than working for his uncle. Uh-huh. Uh, and he took over the operation of the Ritz Theater in Lowell, Indiana. Oh, my goodness, my home state. And eventually, uh, you know, they started talking in, in 1935. We actually have a letter uh, written on the, the letterhead of the Ritz Theater Corporation in Lowell, Indiana, where they discuss the idea of getting the family out of their parents were still in Germany. Wow. Uh, and this is a Jewish family. They discuss the idea of getting the parents out uh, and, you know, setting up more of an operation together uh, in the States. And uh, mm-hmm. and that eventually became in 1938, taking over the operation of two neighborhood movie theaters in Highland Park, uh-huh. of Los Angeles. Uh-huh. The modern day birth of the art house of art house cinema were independent theaters in the late 60s when things were changing radically with the studio system and the advent of television. And the independent and theaters independent had a fork in the road. Some went the adult film route exploitation into hardcore. You as a family, you went in a different direction. Uh, that's correct. Um, we wanted to be in the art film business. My grandfather always believed that American audiences would be uh, appreciate, uh, you know, films from all over the world. Um, and uh, we had been in the art business before, and it was just, you know, there was maybe perhaps less competition. Yes. <laughs> since so many of the theaters um, transitioned to playing adults. But let's not forget, I mean, prior to uh, you know, the explosion of what we would call hardcore films in the U.S., a lot of um, a lot of art films were marketed as adult films. Films from Europe had a, you know, more freer version of of what was going on sexually and, uh, and otherwise. Uh, right. Early Bergman films like Monica yeah. uh, were, were promoted as, as hardcore films. They had nudity. Um, right. Eight and a half. I mean, my one of my father's good friends at Marshall High School was uh, Catholic and he would... Uh, he would say that every Sunday he went to mass and heard about, you know, how he was going to hell for seeing the movies that were playing at the Los Feliz Theater. <laughs> <laughs> but going to see movies is a modern day form of church. It is a congregation. It is a collective experience. It should be. That's right. It should be. That it, is correct. When we talk about independent film, we're not talking about necessarily obscure movies. I mean, here are some of the films that came through the independent film route. Last year, we went to see Everything Everywhere. All, All at, once. at once at the Lemley Monica before it hit. That's right. But other films, Raging Bull, Network, Rocky, Peter Weir, The Last Wave, all his wonderful movies. Well, look, I mean, it, the art houses bring films and filmmakers and, and filmmaking technique uh, to the U.S. And, and filmmakers who live in Los Angeles, predominantly, not exclusively, but a lot of them live here, and they go to see these movies, and it informs, you know... The filmmakers that they want to work with, uh, the the in front of the camera and behind the camera, um, and, and the way in which stories are told. I mean, you can't look at a film like The Matrix, for instance, mm-hmm. and not see the influence of Hong Kong, you know, commercial filmmaking uh, that preceded it by a few years. Yeah, it's true. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, uh, Ovitz, the the famous agent, once said, "Hollywood is high school with money." <laughs> <laughs> See, and it should be. It should be a playground, you know, a place for yeah. innovative ideas. And so, the Lemleys have become a lifeline to the to these type of movies. You, you've, your family has developed close relationships with some of the finest filmmakers in the world because they have come to rely on the Lemleys to get their movies out there. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> 
um, and whether it's close personal relationships or just, you know, a professional appreciation, um, you know, look, we want to see these filmmakers reach wide, the widest possible audience with their films. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we just hope that they don't forget their roots. Um, you know, we've seen many filmmakers, uh, you know, quote unquote, sell out uh, and become, you know, make what start out to be very idiosyncratic Hollywood films, but, you know, increasingly become less idiosyncratic. But it's nice to see if some of them return to those indie roots at some time. Yes, that's right. Now, speaking of roots, how did you, were you infused with this family art <laughs> as a young person? Or did, or did you, you know, learn it by just watching what your relatives were doing and their success? Were they talking to you about it? How did you make your choice to continue? Did they raise you in the movie theater? Yeah, that's right. Did they raise you in, in a movie well, theater? Well, I was definitely raised in a movie theater. And, and, you know, when we were kids in high school, we all worked at the at the movie theaters as well. Oh, you worked um, at sure. So I guess it's education by osmosis. I don't know that it was, you know, really <laughs> inculcated in any kind of organized way. Um, look, but, you know, at the end of the day... None of us are really capable of observing our families independently. <laughs> true, true, um, true. But for me, uh, going away to college um, in the early '80s, when there was still a, a a vibrant repertory cinema scene, especially where I went to school in Berkeley, um, that became, you know, my film education. Going to see two and three and four movies a week, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. both you know uh, Hollywood uh, classics and current foreign, current and older foreign films. Um, and discovering these films in a uh, in that setting, and and you know at at some point it became clear that you know as as much as you know my major in marine biology was not going to give me the opportunity <laughs> to see a lot of movies, and that's what I really loved. But in many ways the business is underwater, so you know <laughs> there's um, <laughs> now the challenge has fallen on you and your generation. The changes that are happening societally, and we're not even talking about COVID yet. How do you see it? Uh, look, I I have. Faith that um, audiences will return to to movie going, uh, that they already are returning to movie going, but that um, you know there are audience there, there are there is a segment of the audience that stopped with COVID and has not returned. Yes, that's right. Yes, and we're a very impatient society, so we look at that and say, well, you know, COVID's been over for X period of time, um, and which we can that's a different debate. Um, but you know, if they're not back now, they're never coming back. And it's just, I, I think it's its premature. Um, mm-hmm. We've gone through this before, obviously, in, in the late 40s and early 50s with the advent of television. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a, you know, a radical realignment of, of movie going, but it, it returned ultimately because it's, it's really, I, I feel it satisfies some intrinsic desire to, uh, you know, to be out in the community, away from our homes with other people and engage in storytelling in a, in a really deep and meaningful way. There's good TV. Don't get me wrong. I think there's really good TV, um, but there's a lot of bad TV too, mm-hmm. and and there's certainly just the the impact that it, it as 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 convenient as it may be to be able to see something uh, at a whim at, at your home, you're not getting the experience that you would get if you see it in a movie theater. That's right. Well, it is a completely immersive experience, and and in that it does allow you to forget. Take you out of your daily life, forget your cares. I always found it to be therapeutic to be able to go to a movie theater and forget my life for a couple well, of unless hours. Unless you're watching Psycho. 
shots right. <laughs> or slasher films. Not take a shot but I'm looking that. at the statistics and of, of what I was able to find, and it does show that the business is rebounding, no question. I mean, you can't go much lower than it was in 2020 when the theaters were mandated to be closed. But it looks like um, people are starting to come back, Gen Zers in particular. Baby boomers are the least the least, least of the crowd to yeah. come back at this point, which is, I'm, I'm sure is challenging for your market. Who's going to see movies these days? Well, I think everybody is going to see movies. Uh, we're not necessarily giving enough of a variety um, to really come back in any in in a meaningful way. Um, films, you know, it, these are big ocean liners that take a long time to turn around. And yeah. the direction was produce films for the streaming platforms and release them straight to the platforms. And, you know, that ended up being, you know, in many respects of financial failure. Um and, and they're, you know, turning around and trying to get product into movie theaters instead of uh, going direct, you know, instead of going direct to the platforms. But it's going to take time, um, you know, and let's not forget also COVID put in, uh, you know, a, a big hitch in the movie making process. What we're seeing is that the films that are attracting a big audience are as attracting as big an audience as ever. And in many cases, it's across all, across all quadrants. So mm -hmm. that, you know, it's not just teenagers going to see Top Gun Maverick, but adults are going to see Top Gun Maverick. Mm -hmm. But then there may not be another movie that attracts them for quite a while. Hey, there's uh, always Barbie. <laughs> <laughs> there is Barbie and there is Oppenheimer and there's Mission Impossible. That's right. Yeah. We're seeing a lot more, wide, you know, more wide release films in 2023 than we saw in 2022 and certainly than we saw in 2021. So it's, it's heading in the right direction. Yeah, but it, but, uh, but it, again, it, it what takes... you what you said about streaming—that's one of the reasons why we have a writers' guild strike right now, and potentially a uh, SAG-AFTRA strike. Yes, because you know the the returns are certainly not what I think people expected on that platform. You know, well, isn't that true? I mean, just every time there's new technology, the studios have amnesia, collective amnesia, and decide to just forget all the compensation rules and and not apply them to the new technology, and then. The, the, the rank and file right. has to go clawed back and fight for it, and that's, that's why right. we're having these strikes. That's true. I mean, um, and that's just going to affect you because the supply chain is going to lessen if, if these strikes last a long time. It will be uh, down the road, of course, but it will hit nonetheless. Yes, we have seen that. So that's another challenge, you know, challenge mm -hmm. that we're going to have to face. Yeah. Um, but, you but, know, you sound like you're ready to face it. And I like that, <laughs> Greg. You're, well, uh, you know, I'm stubborn and, I, you know, and I'd like to think that we're survivors. We're going to talk to uh, Rafael Sparge momentarily about the documentary he directed about you and your family's survival. It's a wonderful, uh, wonderful yeah, film. Yeah, and you really did go through it as a documentary portrays in, in 2019, even before the pandemic was even known to be happening. You uh, went through this very difficult period selling the theater, selling the business, which was an incredible pressure on you because of the family legacy. Who wants to be the one who sells the family business? What you went through was unbelievable. And yet, despite that reality, you decided to keep it going. And then COVID hits. And then you're told to close down your theaters for, what, a year? I mean, uh, I ended up being closed for 13 months. Yeah. And here you are. You've navigated it. But my God, what was that like? <laughs> <laughs> Jury's still out on. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it got to the point you had to take out 
personal loans to keep things going. You you sold your condo here and moved to Seattle. The the personal sacrifice you've made, and um, it's a to, great to, commitment. To, I don't think people realize your personal commitment to keeping Lemley Theaters going. Are you getting emotional support or other support from uh, the family or your friends to help you? Absolutely. And I, and I get emotional support from, you know, hearing how much people want us to, uh, to get through this. Absolutely. Um, you know, now we just need to see it demonstrated in, in yeah, dance sales. Box office. Uh, <laughs> seniors, too. And, yeah, no, no, look, we're very, I'm very mindful of the fact that moviegoing, uh, especially among Lemley moviegoers, is something that, you know, is, is regular. It's, uh, that's just part of your week, mm-hmm. not part of your year. Mm-hmm. Um, and it needs to be priced accordingly. Um, and, you know, our real challenge is how do we keep movie going affordable uh, when everything else is so expensive? You know, there are factors beyond just do people like seeing movies in movie theaters or not that that impact our business. Um, you know, you mentioned traffic. You mentioned mm-hmm. uh, the price of, of housing. Um, how is a young person supposed to see a movie when they can barely afford, you know, to rent and and paying on payments on their student loans? Mm-hmm. So I, I think there are, there are things we need to deal with, you know, or either we need to deal with them as a as a society, of course. But you know, we any any discussion of movie going as a business as as a, a communal experience needs to look at all these factors. One of your sons, and do you have triplets? Are those are those triplet <laughs> sons of yours? We multiplex everything. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. I'm sure your three sons have been um, supporting you and pushing you. One of them said, you're like a captain on a sinking ship, not because the ship is sinking, but because the water level around you is dropping. Hmm. Yeah, well, look, I, I have to acknowledge that if, uh, you know, I may say I believe in the future of movie going. There may be a reality that there is not a future of movie going or that it is, you know, in decline. Um, and emotionally, I'm just going to have to, you know, come to terms with that and not blame myself. But again, I- I'm not at that place. Yeah, good. Not right now. You were talking about when it might be wise or necessary for you to sort of jump the ship before it's too late, like it was for your ancestors in Germany by getting out of Germany um, before it was too late in the late 30s. It's interesting because the political climate today here in America... It's you, startlingly you, similar. Yeah, you can make some Shockingly. comparisons about that. I mean... Frighteningly. Have you had any blowback for programming at all at this point yet? I mean, I know you're in Los Angeles, which is a huge help, but uh, this is yet another thing. Um, uh, you know, look, I, <laughs> um, I, I'm, you know, from a Jewish family and... Uh, practicing, you know, member of the religion. And yet I've been accused of, of being an anti-Semite because of the films that we play. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. You know, most specifically when we were playing the the film Paradise Now, uh, which, you know, looked at two suicide bombers. Um, you know, on the other screen, we were playing Ush Bazin, which was a, a film made within the religious community in Israel. Uh, so <laughs> oh my, uh, my, my answer there was, you know, just go see the movie that yeah, you want to see yeah. and forget about the other one. Or see the other one and get a different perspective. You know? <laughs> yes, sir. Well, what's going on? Well, we, okay, so we've been talking about the depressing aspects of this, but I, I don't find it depressing. I, I I love being engaged in the community, Good. and and I and I love that we have a, you know, look, I, Los Angeles is so many cultures, so many communities, 
and, and so many opportunities and to be able to provide programming as best as we can to all of those audiences is really what fires me up. That's what I respect most about the Lemley Theater chain. And speaking of which, what movies are coming out that you're going to be presenting to Los Angeles that people should get excited about or at least know about? Oh, well, I, um, you know, I mean, first, uh, you know, the Wes Anderson film Asteroid City is going a little wider. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't yeah. wait to see that. And, uh, for those who, who found French Dispatch to be a little bit weird <laughs> uh, this is a nice return to form with some real heart in the film so I'd, I'd recommend that past lives uh is also going to be expanding oh, this very week it's a terrific uh film korean american experience right um starting friday we have uh desperate souls uh, which is a documentary about the making of midnight cowboy uh you know mm. the oh that's first great. and only x-rated film to win the oscar for best picture i'll be darned right and you know coming up we have uh, a film called a fire uh, which is directed directed by Christian Petzold, who uh, directed uh, films uh, Barbara and Phoenix and Transit. Very fine uh, German filmmaker. It's uh, you know again a terrific picture. Um, and for those who are looking for uh, revival films, the you know the opportunity to see a classic back on the big screen on July seventh, we're going to be playing Contempt um, uh, at the um, at the Royal. Is that a noir? Super saturated. Uh, a uh, brilliant film by Jean-Luc Godard. Oh, mm. right, right, Great. right. And uh, when is Barbie opening? <laughs> <laughs> Barbie opens July 21. It's opening on a and, and, you know, and, and there are, I mean, you know, this is a film from uh, from Greta, Greta Gerwig, who comes out of the indie world and uh, written co-written by uh, Noah Baumbach, uh, also very much rooted within the indie world. So I'm, you know, I haven't seen it yet. I'm kind of curious to see. Yeah, it because, I think we all are. You know, there's a way to introduce elements into a Hollywood filmmaking that can, um, attract you know, audience. change people's perspectives on yeah, things. Exactly. You're listening to Phil and Ted's Sexy Boomer Show. Our special guest today, Greg Lemley, and you're hearing us on KPFK. If you want to hear all of our shows, you can catch them on our website sexyboomershow.com sexyboomershow.com let us bring on an old friend of yours phil go ahead well rafael savarge sparge sparge is a brilliant <laughs> actor and we've had the uh, i've had the joy of working with him seeing his work at the antias theater company where we were both members and uh, i was delighted to see that he has branched out into uh, directing producing, creating this amazing documentary. So I want to talk to him about his decision to do this and how it came about. Hey, and Raphael, you there? I'm here. Hey, <laughs> hey there you are. <laughs> hello, we, hello, hello. We appreciate everybody coming in remotely. Raphael, you're in New Jersey, right? I'm actually in Connecticut at the moment, but on the East Coast. Wonderful. As you've been listening, we're talking to Greg Lemley, the subject of your documentary called Only in Theaters, and it chronicles the Lemley Theater's literally their fight for survival before and after COVID. And it is available on Amazon, where I rented it. And Kino Lober is releasing a DVD with lots of extras on July 11th. And there's going to be a screening coming up soon. But let's talk, we'll talk about that in a moment. But Raphael, fascinating documentary. Yeah. How did you get engaged and, 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 and to make this film? What, what inspired you? Yeah, I mean, Phil, I mean, you know, you, you and I come from the theater um, and, and obviously it's a hollowed ground and it means uh, it's everything. It, it, it's, um, 
it, it it's a sacred space yes, and and is. you know i about 12 years ago started making some movies and at some point i had reached out i was living in la and reached out to the lumley theaters to see like many many other filmmakers in la i mean if you're an independent filmmaker you know the gold standard is that you would show your movie at a lumley theater that is just That's the way right. it is because it is you know um, Special. It is synonymous with good taste and 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 quality content and and of course you know it doesn't feel like a movie if it until it actually is shown in a theater That's you know so there's true, something yeah. about that magic that chemistry between the screen and and the people in the seats um, or you know uh, Phil you know for us of course on stage you know between the actors on stage and and the, and the audience who come to share it it, it is a you know, a community experience. It is a gathering of people in a space that really is aligned around having, you know, enjoying the moment. Um, I called the Lemley Theaters and um, I got Greg Lemley on the phone, which was sort of a, a sort of astounding to me. It uh -huh. was sort of a in the man above the title, um, as it were. Um, uh, you know, and Greg was, um, you know, as as you've heard, a, a wonderful man. Um, uh, loves movies um, and and really uh, cares about filmmakers and and really extended himself to you know, make it possible. Um, you know, obviously uh, he's a good businessman and, and and is very good at what he does in terms of running these theaters. But but there was a sort of a sense that there was a, um, a, a willingness to try to make it possible, which is everything um, as a filmmaker when you, yeah. you know, finished your movie to actually sort of have a have a warm room, as it were. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. th that led to a series of, of events that then, of course, um, really got me to discover the wall uh, in West LA. If you have the pleasure of going to the Royal, there's a wonderful wall there, which really lays out some of the history that you've been speaking about this incredible sort of legacy story going back to Carl Emily and then, and then Kurt and Max, you know, Max's, you know, Greg's grandfather. And, and, and from there, then th there's this sense of kind of um, this family being theater royalty. And um, I got very taken by the legacy story. That's where we started. Uh -huh. um, and um, from there, it was literally a series of events that now, really backed did, into this large... Raphael, did you start time. shooting this uh, and talking to Greg and the family before COVID hit? Oh, of course. Yeah, we were 2019. Wow. So your timing, um, was, uh, your timing was right on. Yeah, I mean, I, I someone said to me, you know, great job to be able to schedule. I can't believe you had the budget to be able to schedule that pandemic in the in your third act. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, look, it was it, it, the thing is this, you know, because we've traveled now all over the country. We've had international screenings, and, and I've been in cities that don't know Lemley theaters. You know, wouldn't know Lemley if they stood up in their soup. You know, don't don't have any context for. You know, those of us who live or lived in LA, how important and and what a um, force you know, uh, sort of a, a giant they are in terms of being a cultural sort of a cultural center for so much in Los Angeles. But but the fact is that there are theaters like the Lumley Theaters in 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 every city that we went to. Yeah. Um, there are theaters that maybe they don't have the legacy and and the incredible story that that Greg and and and, and Max and Carl and, and all of that, but but they do have theaters that are art house cinemas that that are dedicated to showing you know films that are important that don't have superheroes in them and that, that are that are you know really 
you know, appeal to our intelligence and to our heart and, and to a different sensibility. It's a lot like and they're all dealing with some challenges. I, it's a lot like the Firesign Theater. You, you attract mm. an audience uh, because nobody else is doing something that respects their intelligence and respects their sense of history and, and their artistic side. And that, you know, it makes the, the it, it attracts an audience of exalted people in my Greg? estimation. What motivates you to do this? I mean, your whole family was involved. Uh, Tish, your lovely wife, uh, she added such an interesting element to the story mm -hmm. because she was able to talk about what you were personally going through physically over the stress that you probably wouldn't have spoken of yourself. What was your motivation for doing this movie? Well, when we started, it was... Um... I, look, I was very proud of of having a three generation family business and and uh, telling that story. Uh, recently, the um, Lincoln Plaza Cinemas in New York had shut down. Yeah, and you know, arguably the, the most important art house movie theater in in the country, or maybe the world. Mm -hmm. and, you know, and just incredible that up the Upper West Side of Manhattan could could not have a movie theater. And I was proud of the fact that the way we had structured things that that wasn't going to you know, be the case uh, for L.A. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and I wanted to tell that story. And and frankly, also at a time when immigration was being discussed in this country, I wanted to really tell a story about how immigration has yep. been a huge positive impact uh, for our country and, for, and certainly for the state all of the arts, really. Sunset Five was one of your premier locations on Sunset Boulevard. That closed down. AMC took over. Didn't do well, evidently. They closed down. And now Landmark, which I guess could be technically a competitor to yours, but I mean, in a business like this, I would imagine they're just, they're not so much competitors as their fellow soldiers in the battle here. They lost their location. They had a beautiful place on Overland and, and, Pico. and Pico. Oh, I used to go to that theater all the well, time. Well, now they're evidently taking over what was Sunset Five, and that's going huh. to be their new home. Okay. Yeah, I'm, and I'm super happy to see that that's uh, that that's happened. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. Mm -hmm. Sure. So wish them luck. So um, in in the remaining time we have, well, first of all, I want to talk about if you're if you're interested in seeing the documentary only in theaters, um, that that our guest uh, Raphael Sparge has uh, directed about our other guest, Mr. Greg Lemley. It will be showing at another institution that is rising yes. like a, a, a phoenix. <laughs> phoenix to the ashes, Vidiots. Now, Vidiots is a filmmaker's uh, video rental store. Uh, it has been celebrated as that for decades. They were in Santa Monica uh, for many years, but it didn't last. And it, But they maintained their uh, – they became a nonprofit and they, be, they maintained their catalog. And they have now reopened in Eagle Rock. They took over an old Pussycat yeah, Theater. Pussy. They have two theaters there, and they have a tremendous collection of movies on physical media, DVDs and Blu-ray. And, and surprisingly, they're doing They're good doing business. great. They're doing the best business since 1985, they told us today. So It's like, um, the, it's like the revival of vinyl yeah, recordings. Yes. They will be showing only in theaters on um, July 8th. 
So and, and for what it's worth, Greg and, and I and Tish, um, uh, Greg's wife, will also are all flying in for the event and will be there for the Q and A after. Oh, oh wow! Boy. Oh, boy. Fantastic! So you're all going to be at this location. So yes, we <laughs> live in person. Wow. Yeah. Okay, so that is on July eighth at the brand new Vidiots Video Store, which you should see anyway, just to see a remarkable collection of movies, uh, and also only in theaters. Your documentary is going to be released on DVD with lots of extra by Kino Lobar in, um, on July 11th. So you've got a lot of stuff coming up. Yeah, we're, we're, I mean, look, this is um, Greg and really his, the family um, really opened themselves up to telling the story in a very personal way. That's right. Um, I, you know, we, we have played all over the country and we were a critical success. Um, and and I'm, I'm, you know, grateful for that. Um, we played 80 uh, theaters. So the movie really... You know, called only in theaters. Really played only in That's theaters. Um, it didn't just play only on streaming. Um, mm-hmm. uh, uh, but now it's you know it's it's into that next stage where we're we're while well, we have the videos of uh, screening, which is obviously our preference. Um, it will be available to a wider audience now on streaming, which is great. Yeah. Um, but but it's it's been an amazing journey, and and um, and you know I believe that the film really uh, it captures a moment, but it is really about about a speaks to larger questions about where we're headed, yes. you know, the importance of theaters. What do we, you know, what do we, what do we gain and, and what do we potentially lose if we don't have them? I mean, this news about the taper oh, yeah. shook me um, when I read it, sure. um, just, just took me down on my knees because I've worked there many times and I, mm-hmm. I just can't believe, I, I can't even imagine. Uh, so, so we, we're, we're, we're in, in sort of a, uh, extraordinary times and and the the opportunity to really be to consider what these theaters bring the, their cultural institutions and how much they inform every part of our lives um you know <laughs> they they uh this is a this is a call back to be reminded that going to theaters is is really is a special and wonderful thing to do. It's a and, call and, for uh, action, Greg. In the in the yeah, minute, it's in, a call to action. Exactly, <laughs> Greg. In the minute we have left, you are the eternal optimist. You are not giving up. You are determined to keep uh, cinema, theater, theatrical experiences alive, at least here in Los Angeles. A word of optimism as to what's driving you right now. What what can we hope for, in your line of work? Well, look, I mean, I'm I'm driven by the idea that uh, you know people recognize at some point when they're being fed stuff that isn't good for them <laughs> ah, yes. and, and, and return to their, you know, to being smart. We can only be fooled for so long. And as long as there are opportunity places like, you know, like the Vidiot's theater in Eagle Rock that are reopening and, and continuing to provide films. Yes. There are going to be theaters that close. I get that. Some of them are going to be my theaters that close uh, in the days to come. But when you see a new theater opening up, when you see a new a community coming together to support uh, providing this opportunity, I, it, it, you know, it, it deserves our support. It deserves our mention. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. And, and if you really care about it, you'll go and see a movie there. Yeah, go with some uh, friends, right. you know. Greg Lemley, Raphael hey, Spark. Hey, it's a supported Thank station. you so much for coming on the show, sexyboomershow.com. It's great to for, hear your voice, hear Raphael. And, yeah, uh, Phil. Thanks for having us. And also support your local cinema. We'll be back next week with another show on Phil and Ted's Sexy Boomer Show. I'm Ted Bonnet. I'm Phil Proctor. Keep us on the air. So Stay long. tuned.